Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. All right, so we are the... This is going to be message number four in death, burial, and resurrection. Really kind of the story of Easter, just the story of what Christ accomplished on the cross, in the grave, in his ascension. And, and I've decided to actually extend it to what he did right after he rose, which we actually covered last week on Easter. And then now I'm going to do a couple more weeks on what he's doing now and what our role is in that. So it's kind of just that big picture. So today I want to cover, we're going to, we're going to cover this, the idea found in Colossians 2.11, and that is that in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And that's not the right one. We'll get there. I got that one out of order. But the whole series is kind of based on this one idea here, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, some translations say. But in him, it already said that. So there's an exchange that happens. Jesus became like you so you could become like him. Jesus gave up. He, it says in Philippians, he emptied himself. He was the word of God. He was the son of God. There's that Trinity aspect that's hard for our brains to comprehend. But God in a form emptied himself, became human, and lived on this earth as a human, limited in all ways like we are, yet without sin. Living without sin qualified him to be the perfect spotless lamb to be the sin offering, not just for temporary uh, atonement of sin, but for eternal forgiveness so that we receive eternal life and eternal redemption. It's almost as if to be the kind of, well, it's not, but you know, I think of it in terms like this, like to be able to exist in eternity with God, you can't be the kind of being that you are now. You have to become a different kind of being. You, know, you have to become this eternal being, this light being, a different type of being. That, that you can only become that if that, it, the power of that place changes what you are now and brings you into that. Now, he frames it in context of family, but I, I start when I kind of just go off in thinking about it, I think about it in terms of, you know, almost a scientific perspective as well, not just that, but I think of it as an, there's an element of it, right? Like, like you think of the light the uh, spectrum, and you know, our physical eyes can only see certain parts of it, but if you put goggles on or you have a certain particular type of lens, you can see other aspects of the electromagnetic spectrum. So you can see gamma, you can see infrared. I kind of think of life along the same terms. So like there's a life spectrum, and we live right here in it, in this portion of it, where you got to, there's physicality, you know, there's vibrational frequencies that allow for physical bodies to take shape, but all the way on the end of the spectrum over there is heaven and perfection and pure light in terms like holy and sanctified. And, and we can't resonate on that frequency of that life spectrum with these bodies because of sin and the darkness that we have. You can slide on down to the, the super low dense frequencies and you don't want to go there, or you can slide on up to perfection, singularity, a point of existence where there is no shadow, no changing, no turning. So, so in my mind, you know, I'm not a scientist, but I just kind of enjoy thinking on those terms and not just in religious terms. And it's as if to be able to be in that place, you got to be changed. You have to, something has, so you have to be affected in this section of the spectrum that you live in to be able to resonate over there to live there. And you can't do that on your own. You can't improve upon your state. So it has to be affected upon you. And God does something inside of us. It's not just a philosophical religious idea 
of blood being spilled and then now we can be in heaven. There's a lot more going on than just that. You know, we are dark. We were dark and, and he needed us to be changed to light. And there's an aspect of the life that he is and has in that place that he puts inside of us that from the inside out changes us. And then eventually we'll shed these bodies and be totally unhindered to enjoy life in that place. Does that make sense to you? I mean, that just may be in my mind, it, it, you know, I, th I find it interesting. But it also removes it out of just the realm of religion and puts it into this realm of a, a reality that's greater than what we can come up with on our own. But it's true and it's real. You know, in Scripture it says that we can clearly understand the things that are not seen by looking at the things that are seen. And, uh, you know, we don't have to be confused. We may not know in full all that's happening in heaven in the mind of God, but you can look at the world and realize, you know, we can learn things about God. So anyway, some of you that are scientists might correct some of my language, but, but, we, but we have language like this that kind of helps us understand the exchanging of life so that we can exist in a better state. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's what we are, living to righteousness. We, are, we were dead in our sin, but now we are alive in Christ. It's, it's, it's not just a religious idea. Something inside of you has actually changed where you are no longer defined by a sin nature. You are defined by a different core, a different operating system, a different set of physics inside of you that is heaven. You're changed. You're not just a doomed, dark, sinful creature. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ. You become different. And 2 Corinthians 5 talks about being a new creature. So getting into where we're going today, I want to look at, uh, I want to start here. So we're, we're, just, we're talking about the idea of being raised with Christ. That was the passage that I wanted to display, but I put the wrong one up front. But being raised with Christ. So in other words, we died. How did you die to your sin? In Christ, you died like you were put into him and you died the death that he died. Or he died your death for you. And therefore, when he was raised, that qualifies you to be raised with him. And he took his, and this is all stuff we talked about the last couple of weeks, but he took his own blood in other words, his life into that heavenly holy of holies, and he offered his life or his blood to cleanse that place and also so that there is a representation for humanity in the presence of God. So it's as if there's human, there is human blood there because it's his. You have the right to be there as long as you're there in him. Because you died to sin, now you're alive in Him, which also gives you access into the eternal presence of the Father. It's, I don't know that we can really wrap our mind. I think, unfortunately, we usually only think about these kinds of things in religious terms. So, so we don't actualize it into life. It's just an idea that we accept but we don't really live from the reality of, no, there, there is a spiritual difference inside of me that actually changes what I am and how I can live in this life. And it's not mystical. It's a real thing. And that's what I want. I, personally, I want to shape, reshape my mind and my thinking to the point where, where living from the identity of my spiritual eternal identity and the power of that spirit inside of me is effective in my life. Amen? So, based on that, let's look at a bunch more scriptures. Uh, this series has probably been the most scripture-intensive as any series as I've preached. Today, there's actually a little bit less, but it's still a lot, but it all stays on theme, and it stays on the theme of you died in Him, now you're alive in Him. And because of this, just a couple of passages here, passages, Ephesians 3.12, this is a reality because of having died in Him. Um, the footnote letters are still in there. Forgot to take those out. So, in Him, through faith, uh, in Him, we may enter God's presence with boldness and confidence. Don't ever forget that. God is not 
holding you at an arm's distance. He's not making it difficult for you to come to him. You have boldness to come to him when you need help. Uh, and then this, Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Say, I'm a citizen of heaven. You know, so we hear these ideas, but I don't want it to just be an idea. I want to live actually feeling this way and living from the power of this beyond just it knowing the information, right? And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so Colossians 2, I'll just read these and comment as we go. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the sins of the flesh or the body of flesh. Or the, So these are all different translations, say it differently. The body of flesh, the body of sins of the flesh, the body of sin or sinful nature. <laughs> you know, all these different translations we have, but the, the Greek, the original is talking about your mere human nature that was opposed to God and prone to sin. Are you with me? So what was cut away from you is your mere human nature that was opposed to God and prone to sin. And what was put in there in its place is a new heart that has God's laws and commandments written on it. And God put His Spirit in you. So essentially, He changed the core of what you are into a being that is infused with the Spirit of God and has a way of thinking, a new guidance system that has God's laws written internally, not externally on stone, as if you got Moses' Ten Commandments here and you say, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fighting in my, I'm just opposed to God's ways. You know, we just naturally gravitate toward flesh under the old before regeneration in Christ. And you had to look, okay, what is the law? What is the law? What am I supposed to do here? Well, now internally, you know. I'm not saying that everything, you know, some, there are some people that get into, you know, what I kind of refer to as finished work message, the gospel. Uh, that, that say, well, if I'm changed by nature, then anything I do is in Christ. Therefore, uh, I can just do whatever my heart desires because Christ is in me and it's just him living through me. That sounds kind of childish and immature, doesn't it? That, that, that kind of sounds like I'm making an excuse for my mind still desiring to go against God's ways. And that's, 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 that's uh, it's just an immature perspective. You know, so if there seems to be a conflict in living out the ways of God as a believer, it's because in your mind and maybe even in the programming of your psychology, you still gravitate toward your needs being met by things in this world rather than being fed by the Spirit of God. And you can change how you think by thinking spiritually. And I, we did a whole series before this one called um, Spiritual Mindfulness. I'm not going to re-preach all that, but you can go back to that. So you, essentially what this is saying is that God cut out your darkness and He put light in there. He cut out your sinful nature and He put in a righteous nature. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You don't have as some teach, a black dog and white dog in you fighting, competing, and which one you feed is the one that you are, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's it. You got one nature. Now, if you can turn that corner and believe that and then start to renew your mind to live from that, man, I'm telling you, you are, on, you are living in freedom. But that one idea makes people really upset and nervous and start to call you a heretic. There are churches in this town that tell people to stay away from us because of that one idea, in fairness. Uh, but, you know, if Jesus made religious people mad, and we do too, I think we're in good company. <laughs> anyway, let's keep... But that's just such a big one. And you don't hear it taught. It's predominantly taught against, actually. So Colossians 2.12, let's keep going. Um, so by the circumcision of Christ, which is a spiritual circumcision. So you were buried with him in baptism. Now, it's not talking about water baptism. Water baptism 
is a physical representation of this spiritual reality. Being buried with Him or in Him, you are immersed in Him. In other words, His death is your death. That's the burial that you're in. So that when He's raised, you're also raised in Him. Um, unfortunately, because we live where we live in the Southeast and the Bible Belt, as soon as you see the word baptism, we instantly think water and it's not. It's talking about, so just like he's talking about a spiritual circumcision here, you know, he's not talking about the ritual that he instilled through Abraham. He's talking about a spiritual internal circumcision. So it is with our baptism. Um, where, where, where am I? I'm getting lost here. All right. So buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So you died in him, now you are alive in him. Verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken out of the way, nailed it to his cross, having disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle triumphing over them in it. You were dead in your trespasses. Now you are, all, are alive in him, forgiven. All of your sin, past, present, and future, is forgiven because Christ is not going to crawl up on that cross and die again every time you sin. Think about this for just a minute. I'm not saying you should continue in sin, but what I am saying is you're not living in this context with God where if you miss it, you then become unforgiven and then a sacrifice needs to be made and then therefore you're forgiven again because that's how, that's how forgiveness comes to pass is through sacrifice. And there's only remission of sin with the shedding of blood. So if you still need to ask God to forgive you of your sin after the cross, what you're, what you're really asking is, for another sacrifice. And unfortunately, we have been taught to believe that repentance is our current sacrifice. As if, okay, let me go to God and apologize to Him. Then He's going to forgive me the, for the things that I've done since the last time I apologized to Him. I can see some squinting eyes. I get it. I know it might be a little bit different than what you're used to, but you got to think about it. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for sin. Are you with me? You are forgiven. Now, should you continue in sin because you're forgiven? Of course not. Sin still kills and destroys. But God is not relating to you any longer based on your sin. He's relating to you based on what Christ has done for you. For me, and I say this all the time, you know, if for more context on this, go read Romans 6 specifically, and you'll see Paul address people come into him because he preached this exact same thing, and people would say, well, are you saying that we should continue in sin so that grace may abound? If, if, if there's more grace available than the opportunity for sin, then, then maybe we should just sin a lot so that more grace happens. That was the naysayers, what they said to Paul. Well, if this is true, Paul, then maybe we should just do a lot of sin so that more grace will be available. He's like, you know, it's, it's as if you're talking, you're comparing apples to oranges. You're comparing uh, uh, self-righteousness to spiritual imputation of righteousness. You're comparing being accepted by God based on behavior to being accepted in God based on the blood of Christ. Does that make sense? All right, let's jump to Ephesians. Kind of, a, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm highlighting the points here that address that you died in Him, you died to sin, and you are now alive in Christ. Y'all are looking at me like y'all already know this stuff. I hope that you do, but I hope that it sinks down even deeper into your heart and it, and it wipes away your fear of God. Now, 
I'm not talking about your awe and respect of God. What I'm, you know, anytime a heavenly being appeared to a person on this planet, it was, it, they always said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So when you're instructed to fear God, that doesn't mean be afraid of God. That word fear means have worship for respect and awe. When Jesus quoted, fear God, you shall, you shall fear the Lord thy God, he said you shall worship the Lord thy God. So fear is worship, not to be afraid of. God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. And so what I hope that this does is it shows you, no, you're a citizen of heaven. You're accepted in the presence of God because of what Christ has done. You might not have it all worked out and you need to clean some things up, but don't, don't think that because you make a mistake that God is just itching to push you out of his family. No, stand secure in the finished work of Christ, your citizenship in heaven, your union with God through Christ, and live from that. So that when you do make a mistake, because you're going to make a mistake, aren't you? Maybe not Linda here. You might be the only one that doesn't make mistakes. But Now, again, I don't want to be a broken record, but you guys need to be razor sharp in this because God is leading you across people's paths that don't know this, that, that are afraid of God that think that their mistakes disqualify them from God being pleased with them. People don't know that. We got the sticker. God's not mad at you. You know? And I'm telling you, if you put that on your car, get ready. I have a story of that from Huntsville. Some drunk called and left a message on our voicemail at a church that I was at. And he was, this guy was livid. He was drunk. <laughs> but he was livid that we had on our sign, God's not mad at you. Because bless God, he knows God's mad at him. It was really pretty sad. Anyway, let's, let's click through here. Uh, I'm hitting some highlights in Ephesians, but what I want to do is I want to focus on your identity in him, the character of who God is, in light of you having died in Christ and having been resurrected with him. All right? So in light of that, these things are a reality. Now, Ephesians predominantly is about God building his church. There's a lot of confusion about who the elect are with uh, uh, the, the elect and Jews and Gentiles and all this kind of stuff and particular focuses make it all about God is choosing who can be saved. In context, if you really look at it, what he's saying is the Jews were the elect and, and, and God predetermined that people would be saved through Christ. And it was first for the Jews, but now speaking to the Jews, because you know, I don't know if you realize that, but in the early church, the Jews thought that they were the only ones, and they were, they were the only ones that had the right kind of relationship with God because they were the ones that God made covenant with. And so when early Christians, uh, Jews got saved, they believed that Jesus was only for them because they were the elect. They were the chosen people of God. And that was true under the old covenant. And so what Paul has to do over and over and over, he does this in Ephesians, he does it in Romans 9, when you see the term elect or those whom God foreknew, I'm getting technical, and you see it in 8, you see it in Romans 12, he's talking about Jews who were the elect, they were the chosen people of God, then Christian Jews began to think, well, Jesus is only for us, and Paul came in and had to teach them, no, in Romans 9, you see this. Basically, Paul's making the case. He says, God can do anything he wants to do. He uses a couple of illustrations to build the case for God can do whatever he wants to do. And then he says, and what God wants to do is save Gentiles too. And so it is, you know, because you've heard the phrase for the Jew first and then the Gentile. Well, he may as well have said for the elect first and then for everybody else. You, you, have any of you come out of a background where you have a hardcore teaching on the elect as only a certain group of people? Anybody come out of that? Yeah. It's, it's kind of a hard one to break. Um, there's a lot of indoctrination that happens in there. But anyway, whew, let's keep going. <laughs> Ephesians 1, we're going to skip to 7. Uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding 
and He has made known to us the mystery of His will. When I hear phrases like this when I'm reading Scripture, it's like, mm, I want to pay attention because I want to know, okay, this is what you're doing. I want to be on board with what you're doing. Look what He's doing here. Uh, the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, watch this, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together in Christ. You want to know what God's doing? That's what He's doing. That's what He's working on right now. Now, there's a lot to be said for the church's role in that. It's not the church that is going to make that happen, but it's the church that is the emanation in the earth of that happening. Because I feel like I'm touching on a lot of large doctrinal mindsets in this one. <laughs> there are people that think that it's up to the church to shine brightly enough so that Jesus can come back. Like they think that Jesus is waiting to come back until the church gets bright enough, you could say. You know, it's kind of this dominionist theology. Those guys, you're always hearing them hype revival. We need revival. We need revival because their theology is the church needs to become so powerful and bright that it ushers Jesus back into the earth and His kingdom is revealed through us becoming more powerful and more enlightened and doing more miracles. And I'm looking around and I don't see it happening. I know we need a revival. Anybody ever come out of the revival, hardcore revival, revival? And you feel like, man, I'm, I'm, we're not, we are terrible at this stuff. And we are. If it's up to us, we're in trouble, it being the return of Christ. But what God is doing is this. He is bringing all things together in heaven and earth in Christ. Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a beautiful thing that what God is doing. Peter, in Acts 2, when he stands up and the Holy Spirit's poured out, he says it this way. He says, this is what Joel prophesied. This is the beginning of the restoration of all things. That's what God's doing, the restoration of all things. Now, on this side of it, the earth side of it, there may be some darkness. You know, you got the wheat and the tares thing happening. You got, we don't know what the end times exactly looks like. But overall, I'm optimistic. Even if we have some difficult years where billions of Christians lose their lives for standing up for their faith, which sounds horrible, uh, but, but how glorious of a time might that be that people are standing up for faith to the point that they just transition on into heaven and shed these bodies. You know, I'm not, I'm not scared of that. I'm not scared of potentially dark days ahead of us. God will provide. Amen? Don't, don't be afraid. If God leads you to store up some food or, you know, try to figure out through numerology who the Antichrist is and when the rapture is going to actually happen, because you know it's Tuesday, right? Did you know that? Uh, wait a minute. It's Tuesday next year. No, no wait a minute. No telling you, man, I get these videos. Ooh. People love their rapture, rapture focuses. And I'm not trying to say that there's not. I'm just saying whatever, whatever happens, God is doing this. He's bringing all things in heaven and earth together. And He will provide for you along the way. Don't be afraid. Now, if He instructs you to do some specific things along that journey that are wise, do it. But don't be afraid. Don't do it out of fear still have the expectation that you are a child of God, an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, equipped with the ministry of reconciliation to spread the gospel. And He will provide for you along the way. That, that, that's my perspective. No matter what happens, I just trust that. Um, let's keep going. So, as a plan for the fullness of time, bring all things together in heaven and earth in Christ. Skip to 18. So He, so he prays, I ask that your eyes... The eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope of His calling, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of His power to us who believe. I don't want that to just be a phrase in the Bible. I want to live from that. His power to me. That are in accordance with the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated him, and this is not just a, a statement about location, 
It's a, it's, a, it's a description of the authority of Christ. He seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in the, this present age, but also in that to come. And God put everything under his feet and made him head over everything for the church, which is his body. Now, look at how this describes the church. The fullness of him who fills all in all. If you diagram this sentence out, that last phrase is talking about Jesus is the head. He's the ultimate authority and power. But the fullness of him in the earth is the church. What? So what I'm wanting us to walk out of here with is a higher image of ourselves. You know, I, I think, I think, Christ, I think uh, self-righteous Christianity has done a disservice to Christianity in that it devalues humanity in the eyes of God. Whereas humanity is actually the crown jewel of God's creation. God has more value for humanity than anything probably outside of the Trinity. And religion, toxic, performance-centered approach to Christianity has made us believe that we aren't that much of anything in God's mind. It wants you to feel like you're in, you know, like you are not valuable, like you're worthless, you're dirty. And in fact, the more you can come to the terms with how totally depraved that you are and how worthless that you are and how sinful and how dark that you are, boy, that really makes God happy when you see yourself as a dark, worthless, dirty sinner. Then God will have some respect for you and bless you. You think I'm joking. Some of y'all came out of these. Some of y'all got some stories. I almost would like for some of y'all that came out of these mindsets to tell your story. Because if you didn't come out of that, praise God. I, I thank God I didn't come out of that. You know, wasn't raised in church, wasn't raised with all that stuff. It was easy for me to believe that God was good. But some of y'all, y'all got some work to do because you still think God's really not that interested in you, that God doesn't really like you very much. Now, he doesn't like you because of you, but you're his child. We'll skip to four. Because of this, his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. So, so why? Because of his great love for us. You see that? Has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. God loved you before he ever expected you to be able to love him back. It is his goodness that draws us to repentance. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. So remember earlier it described Christ having been raised and seated at the right hand of God far above all principality and power. And God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's how you have to see yourself. So when you get called upon to go pray for somebody that's in the midst of a dark situation that looks impossible, you got to know you represent heaven. You represent your father. You represent the king, the master, the one who has power and authority over everything. And you've come to bring a message. And that message is to verify who the character of God is, to tell these people and show the power of this is who God is. God is a redeemer. He is a healer. He is a restorer. He is a provider. And I'm here to tell you that. And I'm not just here to give you some information. I'm also here equipped with power to show you who he is. Now that part we need to get better at because we're not very good at it. Now, you know, some things have happened in my life and I walk away thinking, well, I'm just not very good at the miracle aspect yet. But Jesus was. Amen. Amen. And so I don't, I don't want to 
diminish my human experience to my personal experiences. I, I want to, like Peter, looking at Jesus, I want to keep my eyes on him. And to the degree that I stay focused on him, that is what is, the, that's the potential. I want to focus on the potential and not live by limitation. In order that in the coming ages he might display the surpassing riches of his grace demonstrated by his kindness to us in Christ. I read this and I just think, it's, you mean it's going to get better? It's just going to get better from now on? Even in eternity, we're just going to, it's just more and more of his grace. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance as our way of life. I love how this particular translation, which is the Berean Study Bible, phrases this. Uh, so that to do so that God prepared ahead of time as a way of life is that in him we do good works rather than God prepared the specific works that you're supposed to do ahead of time are you with me because because if everything's predetermined already in every little detail and you're just you're just a puppet playing out God's tragedy you're just playing out this story that God wrote ahead of time you know, that, that, this doesn't make any sense. In him, the whole building is fitted together and grows into the holy, into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God in his spirit. That's what God's doing. God is building for himself. It's there in heaven and he's building it for himself in this earth. And he's doing it first and foremost in the hearts of his people. We are the temple of the living God. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the living God, Paul says in another place? And, and, and he dwells in you as he's bringing all things in heaven and earth together. Now, there's a lot that I don't understand about that, but I see it clearly, and that's what he's doing, and I want to participate in that. I want to keep my heart open to, 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 to allow as much as it can happen through me for God to bring heaven and earth together. All right, so uh, I like another translation. It says since here instead of if, but the if should be since in context of what he's saying if you look at the grammar of this. Did y'all follow me on that? So this is Colossians 3, and we actually have this on a sign above the door before you come into this room right here, and, and we have it on there for a reason because I, I, I want us to set our mind on things above. That's kind of the big idea. So, so, since, so, so because of all of this as being a reality, you're a citizen in heaven. Uh, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. You died in him. You're no longer dead in your trespasses. You are alive in him. You died in him. You were raised with him. He's working within you. He's overall, he's seeking to bring all things in heaven and earth together. He's building his church to participate in that along the way. We have a part to play in the big picture of God doing what he's doing. And I put all of that together. I think that so we're jumping, so that mostly was Ephesians. We're jumping to Colossians. I think this kind of puts the period on that overall idea. Okay, so what am I supposed to do? Are you sitting there wondering that? Maybe you're asking yourself, well, okay, so, how, so what do I do? How do I do this? I think this is some very practical instruction. What do you do? Colossians 3, 1, since then, or if then, you were raised with, were you raised with Christ? Yes. It says that you were. That's not a question. If you said yes to Jesus, you have been raised with Christ. Raised from what? Raised from being dead in your sin. Raised from being dark. Raised from being cut off from God. Raised from death. Jesus passed into the grave and conquered death and hell. You've been raised from that. You are in Him. So, if then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God in full authority and power. Now, this is this, this kind, of the, this kind of the secret. This is kind of the way that you do it. Set your mind on things above. Now, I'm not saying 
the power of positive thinking is going to be what changes your life. But setting your mind on things above, it's like Abraham trusting God's promise. It's like Peter looking at Jesus. Set your mind on things above. Okay, what is above? Well, Jesus. I see Jesus. I see Jesus seated in all authority and power. So you have sickness in your life. You have children who are off track. You have difficulty in your marriage. You have loved ones that you're struggling, you know, that are struggling. Uh, whatever it is in this life that you, that you know that the power of God can touch and change. How many of you have people in your life that need to experience the presence of God? Yeah. How many of you would love to see abundant blessing in your finances so you could be generous on every occasion? You know, less hands on that one. I mean, think about let's, let's break it down to practical life for just a minute. Your real world. We're not just talking about religious ideas. I get it. We're in church. There's, I got spotlights on me and everything. But we're talking about your life, okay? Your life. Your family, your job, your loved ones, all of that, okay? What do I do? What do I do? I'm, I was dead in Christ. Now I'm alive in Him. I have the power of His Spirit working within me. What do I do with this stuff? How do I actually live this out? Think about that. Think about a practical, real-world situation that you're in. You need to see the power of God move. You want to see the promises of God manifest, like Peter, like Abraham, right? Are you there? Because I'm wanting to bring it down into that. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So this is not advocating denial. You don't just ignore the situation but you see it in light of what did Jesus do about it? What's the potential? I see the waves. I see the potential of drowning, falling, sinking into the water, but I'm going to set my mind on Jesus who is in front of me. And as long as I stay focused on him, that's the potential. His reality then becomes possible for me. All things are possible for those who believe. And it's not the power of your belief it's the focus of your mind, your mind being focused on Jesus. I, I, so whatever this thing is in my life, how does Jesus affect it? What did Jesus do about it? If Jesus were standing in front of this person or this situation and he prayed, what would be the effect? That's how you set your mind on things above. You look at, okay, well, Jesus paid for this situation. And that might be where you need to do a little bit of searching in the Scripture to, to, to understand the practical effect of the cross of Christ and His resurrection in your specific situation. Are you with me? In other words, what He did in His death, burial, and resurrection, how does that actually affect this? Then you keep your mind focused on that rather than the, the circumstance. It's not that you deny it. Because it's there, you realize it. Yes, I acknowledge this. I even own my responsibility for the fact that it's in my life. But Christ, but Jesus did something about this. That's what I'm going to stay focused on. And to the degree that I stay focused on him, his state in that situation becomes possible for me. Are you with me? So when you pray, you're not trying to beg him to come up and change something. You're not trying to convince God to do something, you know what I mean, like get up off his throne. And do, I mean, he's alive, he's active. I'm not saying he's just sitting there and it's all up to you. That's not, what I'm just, that's not what I'm trying to say. But there's just this connection of the singleness of our mind. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Set your mind on whatever it is that Christ has accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection in your specific situation. Stay focused on that. So set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's, that's the final point. You died. Say, I died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now think about that. Just everybody look at that and read it. This is Colossians 3, 2, if you happen to be listening. I died. What did I die to? 
I died to fear. I died to worry. I died to lack. I died to everything in this life that keeps me distracted from God. I'm dead to it. Yes, it's temporary, a, temporarily a reality in my life, but, but then I think about like Jesus. He says, the enemy comes and he's got nothing in me. Jesus faced everything that we face. He was tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin, because he lived from the power of the Spirit within him. He knew his identity. I mean, think about it. When Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water and then he went into the desert for 40 days and fasted, the enemy came to him. What was the first thing he said? If you really are the Son of God, like God just announced, now can you believe that, Jesus? Here's the enemy. Can you believe that? I mean, come on, it's just me and you here talking. God just said that you're his son. You're the Messiah. You're the one. Isaiah, all these prophecies, you're, that's you? <laughs> come on. That's, really? I can't believe But there's people all over. I mean, I mean look, at, look at Josephina's kid. They thought he was the Messiah. You know what I'm saying? It's like we read Scripture, but we don't take time to sit in the story and let it unfold a little bit. But that's what the enemy does with you. Really? You can be healed? I don't know about that. Does healing, healing even happen anymore? I mean, really? God wants you financially, abundantly blessed so you can be a blessing? Really? That's what those preachers say on TV, and those guys are all crooked. Look at them. Money's bad. I mean, come on. Let's get real here for a minute. You died to all that stuff. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are in God. Just think about that. Your eternal state, who you are right now, in God. You're telling me that he's going to throw you away because you make a mistake? He's going to get mad at you? What's he going to get mad at himself? And we read this passage last week. It's like, who's going to condemn you? The one that died for you? Oh, you made a mistake. You think God's mad at you. Oh, well, so the one that died for you? So you made a mistake and you're afraid. That's the final mistake. That You're done. He's just going to condemn you. Now, who's going to condemn you? The guy that died for you? Who's, who's upset with you? Not the one that created you, gave you life, loves you, delivered you from death, died for you in your place. You, that's the one that's going to be upset with you and not be for you who he is for everybody? That one? What? That doesn't make any sense. Really? Do you see that? Like, don't just look at Scripture and then read it and then check off the box. Live in it. Play with it in your mind a little bit. Sit in it. Think about it. You're hidden with Christ in God. What does that look like to you? Use your imagination a little bit. Think about the eternal heavenly throne of God where Christ is seated at the right hand of that Father, your Father, hidden. Here comes the enemy. Where is he? Where is he? Where's Bob? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You're hidden with Christ in God. Here comes sickness. Here comes lack. Here comes depression. Here comes sorrow. Here comes all this. Where? Where? I'm coming at. I don't, I don't all I see is Jesus here. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have problems. I'm not saying everything's just going to be perfect and worked out. Work out. But what I'm saying is, on the inside of who you are and how you relate to life and respond to circumstances and situations, it's, it's, it's not the end. It's just your temporary physical experience. And it's real. And you're not bad for having difficulties and challenges and problems. You, you're, you're just not. It's just the way it is in the earth right now. So don't judge yourself for that kind of stuff. But when you start... Here's the point. I feel like the Holy Spirit just kind of showed me this. It's an identity issue. So, in other words, 
the external temporary physical things, don't let those define who you are, okay? So if you're struggling with lack, you're struggling with poor relationships, health, emotional stuff, any of that stuff, that is not your identity. Do not let that define to yourself who you are. Don't take on that identity. Take on the identity that you are hidden with Christ in God. Are you with me? Do you see the difference? Does that make sense? Because it, it it, you can judge yourself easily because you got a problem in your life. But, don't, you know, it's just a problem. It's just a thing. It's going to go away one way or the other. It is not going to last. But what will last is who you are in Christ. So live from that. And set your mind on that, and it will empower you to live from the spiritual effectiveness in your life to bring about that reality. Amen? Amen. Problems come, but they got to talk to Jesus, and he'll help you through them. Problems come, difficulty, things happen. We, don't, we pray, and it doesn't work out the way we think we know that it should. But what are you going to do? Are you going to judge God for that, or are you just going to... Stay focused on Him. Don't let it change who you are in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and just put our focus on Him for just a minute. I always end up going long on the picnic days. <laughs> Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying in our place. Father, I thank you for this plan ahead of time that you loved humanity you gave us free will. You gave us freedom. You gave us dominion over this planet, but you also made a way of salvation, knowing that we wouldn't be able to live it out perfectly on our own. So we just thank you for that. And we thank you that you showed us your will in Christ in the earth, in that he died for us to deliver us, but that also how he lived. And we want to live that way. We want to represent you. We don't, we don't want to let the things of this earth rob what you've done inside of us. We will live with our focus on who you are and who we are in you and live from the power of that because there's work to do in this earth. To walk in the ministry of reconciliation and show the world just how good you are. Father, I speak life over every person in this place. I thank you that abundance is rising up in their hearts and minds. I thank you that all the limitations are breaking off and I thank you that what you are leading us into becomes possible for us so that we will believe and not limit you. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.